When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Evan Lazar, and you are listening to the Patriots Beat Podcast on the CLNS Media Podcast Network. I am joined today by one of my good friends in the business. It's Taylor Kyles. Taylor, coming for me from a dungeon, it looks like. No, I'm just kidding. How you doing, Taylor? I'm doing well. I'm in my friend's recording studio. So like oh, it's, it's their recording yeah. studio. There we go. Yeah, so, like, no sounds getting out or in, which is great. But, like, yeah, the lighting is terrible. I'm doing the best I can with my phone. I'm assuming it's a music recording studio, then that's not a... Yeah, no, there's a bunch of speakers. Like, I'm not familiar with the stuff in here, but it's super cool, and it looks super expensive, so, like, I'm not saying anything. Well, <laughs> I'm not saying anything. Well, well, my recording studio is my bedroom, so as you can see, you know, it's very very fancy. You know, we still got uh, white walls right now. We just moved into this place about a month ago, so we're still working on decorating, but... The Patriots might have a game on Sunday, Taylor. They might not have a game on Sunday. As it stands right now, obviously, we know the COVID outbreak with New England. I don't know if we want to call it an outbreak. The COVID issue with New England, I think is a better way of putting it, is clearly the elephant in the room and what's on everybody's mind. As of right now, we're taping this at Thursday at around 2.30 Eastern. The Patriots are not having practice on Thursday. It doesn't sound like there will be practice on Friday. We might be able to speak with some of the players Friday afternoon if they do hold practice. Coach Belichick spoke this morning. We're hoping to speak to him again on Friday morning. But I think the most, the biggest takeaway from speaking with Coach this morning is that he's really being updated hour by hour by the league on the situation. It's a medical and league matter. Shutting down the facility, playing this game on Sunday, really has nothing to do with anybody at one Patriot place. It's it's above that, right? It's a commissioner decision. It's a David Sills, the chief medical officer of the league, his decision to make. So the Patriots are kind of in limbo. They're preparing for this game virtually, and that's sort of where I wanted to talk to you about this, Taylor. Just the struggles I think that you're going to see from a team that's not likely not going to have their starting quarterback in Cam Newton, who seems unlikely to be cleared in time to play on Sunday, no practice, only one practice potentially maybe on Friday, but most likely no practice, no practice going into Monday night's game either for Hoyer or Stidham. Now they have to prepare this entire team with a backup quarterback to go against a Denver team that is one and three, but they're a sneaky one and three, I think, because of what they can do on the defensive side of the ball. So what just the difficulties of preparing for an opponent without in-person practice, I just can't imagine how uh, hard that is going to be for this team. Yeah, no point in sugarcoating it. I think it's ridiculous. I think, you know, there's this 
you know, nebulous that we're kind of in where there's an expectation that it's the NFL, it's this big business, it has to run according to schedule. But this is a pandemic. These are not normal circumstances. If there is any time for you to introduce empathy and a little bit of humanity into your business, this is it. Um, I think the NFL is just, you know, as we've kind of seen consistently, they've gotten lucky, I think, at a lot of points, but they've been consistently just poor with their preparation, with their execution, when it comes to crunch time, when they, you know, have to pay for not preparing very well. And we're seeing it with players like we've seen inside the Patriots organization. You know, you can see videos where it shows how thoroughly they have prepared for the pandemic and for COVID to make sure that people are still safe. So I don't think you can look at the efforts they've made and say, you know, this is a, this is a Patriots issue. This is a league issue. You are having people who are playing a blood sport, quite frankly, you know, these are gladiators going in the ring with no preparation with, you know, they need to get their bodies checked and all these things they need to rehab and go into the facilities. There's things that they don't have access to because they're all trying to stay healthy and, you know, have families that they can go back to. Like these are real people. And it's just frustrating. I think I'm sorry to ramble, but it's just, it's frustrating that the league keeps putting them in positions. Uh, it's not even that it's the Patriots. It's if this were the Broncos, I'd be saying the same thing to force a team with so little preparation to play such an aggressive and physical game, especially against a team like the Broncos who are very tough. They're very well coached. You know, this is going to be a very physical game. And it's just, it's so unfair. And I'm not a big unfair guy. Like, you know, it's not fair to preach that at all. And I'm sure Belichick isn't saying that. But behind closed doors, you have to say, like, this is this is BS, that they have to kind of go through this sort of thing. Whether or not they're athletes, I don't care how much they're getting paid. It's it's just a really tough situation. I also think what makes it even tougher is that the Broncos are practicing in full capacity all week. They are having a normal week in Denver right now in preparation for this game. You know, practice Wednesday through Friday, in-person meetings, in-person film breakdown, all that kind of stuff, whereas the Patriots are doing literally everything virtually. And the players, like you said, they're not in the facility right now. They're not getting treatment right now. They're not preparing their bodies for this game. They're not preparing mentally for this game. They're not preparing schematically for this game. There's really no semblance of normalcy. And I think, as you can see, with a lot of different athletes, routine is so crucial for peak performance on Sunday. Making sure you get your daily, you know, uh, treatments, making sure you go through your daily routines, making sure you prepare yourself physically and mentally for to go and play a football game at the NFL level is a routine-based thing. And as a coach that's coached in the league for 40 years, even Bill Belichick himself, who's coached in the NFL for longer than pretty much anybody else currently in the league or ever in league history, said that he has never done anything like this before. He has never prepared for a game completely virtually over Zoom meetings. And just like this, just like you and I are talking right now, is how the Patriots are preparing for the Denver Broncos. And that is definitely not something that Coach Belichick has ever done. And it's not an ideal situation, as he said this morning. You could sense in his voice that, you know, obviously he didn't want to answer a lot of the questions that were being asked. And that's always part of it. But I think that there's a lot of frustration that he's being put into this spot and his team is being put into this spot where coming off that week against the defending champs where they travel the same day of the game, they get back on early Tuesday morning. They got to flip instantly to the Denver Broncos because it's Monday night football. Then they find out they have to shut down their facility because their second best or best player on their team and Stephon Gilmore tests positive and 
it's not a Titans style outbreak yet, thank God. But it almost feels like the Titans got their games canceled, got their games postponed because they did a worse job of containing the virus. The Patriots, because they did a great job of containing it, are still being forced to play on Sunday and are not really getting any breaks here for what's an invisible virus and impossible to really stop the spread. And the Patriots, I think, have done a decent job at containing it, at least so far. And then especially when you consider that every week we're seeing players drop like flies as a clear result of the fact that they weren't able to prepare as well in the offseason, like we're saying, like treatment and all those things. It's not just an in-season thing. Players are going in throughout the year if they're on a team. So they're not getting these things in-season when their body demands it the most. Like it's just – like, dude, it just, it's, it's crazy to me that the league with all its money and its resources could reach out to people who know better than they do. Like – it is just insane to me that they make these horrible, horrible decisions that are objectively and blatantly inhumane when you're considering the global, you know, the, the, the situation that we're in and the severity of this sport. And, you know, like the Broncos are a great example. They're a team that's had, I think, almost half, if not more, of their starting defensive front loss due to injury. Like, it's it, this is a really unique situation that I feel like the league is not handling in that way. And, you know, it's getting me all worked up. We're, we're, we're talking football soon, I promise. But, uh, but yeah, man, I, I, I don't even know what to say at this point. Yeah, and we're going to definitely get into the football. The sense that I'm getting from the league office, though, is that the, they really do not want to push anything back. They don't want to push the season back. They don't want to create a Week 18. But most importantly – they don't want to overreact. They want to stay patient and they want to kind of evolve with the situation as it goes. And what I mean by overreact would be to just go ahead outright and cancel this game Sunday before they do the testing this week and see if anybody else is COVID positive or, you know, delaying the Titans season or pressing pause on the entire season as a league, you know, for all 32 teams. They don't want to jump to those types of conclusions, right? And I, I understand that to a degree, but at the end of the day, we also need to realize that a lot of the reason why they don't want to jump to those conclusions is because of their wallets and because of the bottom line, and they don't want to start losing football games. That's the worst-case scenario for the league is to start losing games and, as a result, losing that money, that's that revenue that's coming in from playing those games. So it's definitely a little bit of a – you know, they're, they're in conflict, right? Because the safe and humane thing to do is to not play these games right now, especially in places like New England or Tennessee. But the thing that's best for everybody in terms of the bottom line is obviously to play. So the, the league is always in these sort of conundrums that they usually pick the wrong side and go with the money. You know, when it comes to anything, player safety, concussions, COVID, whatever you want to call it, they always seem to lean on the other side. That was a good rant. I think we both got some things off our chest there. Let's talk about some football. That's, that's why everybody is, it wants to listen to this podcast. I know that Taylor and I are ready to break down a bunch of different things. We're going to start with some big picture Patriots stuff, though, because I, as much as I want to respect the Broncos, I think it's more important to also talk, look inward at some of these things that's going on with the team. Let's start with the quarterback situation. Obviously, on Monday night, it wasn't good enough, right? It, that was a I wouldn't call it a complete abject disaster, though. But I went back and watched a lot of the individual plays and the throws. You know, they did move the ball a little bit, both with Hoyer and Stidham at quarterback. They just had some back-breaking mistakes that you just can't have. I'm not ready to go full, uh, you know, our friend Greg Bedard. He went out and said they need to look for quarterback help. You know, this is not good enough, and they need to go sign somebody else or make a trade. I, I, I'm not going there yet because I do think that if you really go back and study the tape, they did make throws. They did move the football. Hoyer took 
took them on three 13-play drives down into the red area. They just didn't produce points on two of them. So, with that being said, they do have a game scheduled right now against the Broncos against a pretty – I would call him a defensive mastermind in a lot of ways in Vic Fangio, somebody that's very well-respected around the league. Who do you start, Hoyer or Stidham? Um. I understand that Hoyer is the smart choice in the fact that, you know, he was making mistakes that you wouldn't expect from someone who's been in the league as long as he has. So it's fair to say, hey, you know, first game jitters, it was a lot of pressure on him, not a lot of preparation, all those things. So I, I think that he is the smart choice, but selfishly, I still want Sidham to start. I thought that there was definitely an element of improvisational ability that Sidham gave you, whereas when Hoyer was back there, it felt like Brady without the experience, where like, all right, he's going to be able to move a little bit, but really, you know, if the play doesn't go on schedule, he's not going to be able to give you much outside the pocket and really give you a dynamic element. I thought Stidham gave you that. I thought you also saw that Stidham gave you a lot more as a deep thrower. Um, not only the arm talent, I think people were saying that he, I saw some people saying he didn't have the arm to make the interception that he threw uh, to Demir Bird. I really don't think that's it. I've seen him make tougher throws than that. Uh, I think it was really just, he felt some pressure. I don't think he stepped up and put as much on it as he should have. Um, but I thought he also made a lot of good decisions. The Chiefs threw some pretty nasty coverage uh, rotations at him and Hoyer. I thought they both handled them pretty well. Hoyer had that one throw on a rope. Um, to Demir Bird up the seam. So, like, they both had promising moments, but from your young quarterback who showed promise, who made good decisions, who checked it down when he needed to, and also had flashes of those things that you liked in him. The touchdown to Nikhil was a perfect ball. The other one that he threw that drew the pass interference, excellent floater. I was saying um, on Twitter, it reminded me of Russell Wilson a little bit in that way that he puts so much air that it's hard for defenders to play it because their instinct is once you catch up to the receiver to look back once their eyes go up, but those balls soar for so long, the receiver's kind of running under it for a while, and then you get even more space. So um, Hoyer is a safe bet, 100%, but selfishly, I'd love to see Stidham be able to show his talent and actually be able to get some infield on-field experience and not just, you know, ride the sideline for whatever reason. I thought you summed it up great with Hoyer that, he kept the offense more on schedule and mm-hmm. ran the system a little bit better than Stidham did when he got in there, certainly. I think there are plays, you know, throws to Edelman up the seam, Damari Bird up the seam, uh, Demir Bird, excuse me, that he hit pretty nicely, that were on script, on schedule, within the foundation, That those types of plays. Also made a couple of different leverage-based read-type throws, you know, just throwing against leverage with Julian Edelman, and a lot of slant flat and underneath stuff as well, just kind of getting him in rhythm and getting him some short passes and creating situations hopefully for yak opportunities that was uh, they looked a little bit more functional I think with Hoyer in that sense that he was running the offense on time the ball was getting out and going where it needed to be the the ball placement just always wasn't always there certainly right and early on in the game I think he had a little bit of jitters he would seem to be overthrowing the football a little bit he sailed the one to Ryan Izzo on the corner out you know things like that Then he settled into the game, and I thought that his ball placement overall, and a lot of the metrics agree with this too, was pretty solid, to be honest. It was – I think the biggest thing that you see with Hoyer, it comes back to everything everybody's been saying all week. If he's going to be the guy, he's got to manage the football game. He can't turn the ball over. He can't take that sack before the half. Those are the types of plays that, because he's going to be limited as a downfield passer, because you're going to be – sort of within 20 yards a lot of the time and not creating those deep explosive plays, he's going to have to be able to manage the football game. But that being said, with Stidham, I agree 100% with you with the improvisational skills. I think that's really what stood out to me. 
I would have liked to have seen one instance where he had Demir Bird on a deep in cut. It was wide open the entire time, and he ended up kind of breaking the pocket and hitting it on the run instead of hitting it initially within the scheme, which, you know, obviously isn't isn't necessarily what I would have liked to have seen, but at least he has that mobility. He has that ability to get outside the pocket and make those types of throws happen. So that that in itself, I think, is going to be okay. He had another one. They set up kind of a play-action deep shot. Kansas City dropped a, uh, back and retreated in a cover three, got over the top of both of the deep routes. Demir Bird ended up kind of breaking it off on the sideline. Instead of attempting a far hash throw, Stidham rolled out of the pocket and made it a shorter and easier throw for himself. Those are the types of plays that he can make, right? And I I think that that's a benefit to the Patriots, especially because we've seen that if you don't have a true playmaker from the pocket, like a Tom Brady, like a Cam Newton, that these skill players are not necessarily going to create a ton of opportunities down the field. So that was all well and good. The interception, I agree with you, it wasn't necessarily – I think he got a little bit too much air under it. You know, I, I don't think he meant to throw it with that quite that much air, but it was more to me in watching it again on the tape. It was a processing thing. You know, they, they rotated the coverage, but the safety was on the other side of the field, the post safety. He was nowhere near Demir Bird and they were cutting off Edelman coming across the field. And that was the route that initially Sidham was on. And he didn't really get off of that route quick enough to see the post and be able to throw, make that throw. So that, that was sort of, I think why he missed that one. I know, a lot of people are like, oh, he short-armed it, whatever. He did short-arm it a little bit, but I think it was more so the timing of the play. He was too late to it. You know, Demir Bird was wide open for basically almost instantly because of the, the coverage because they were all so keyed on Edelman and, and they didn't get there. So that's a long way of me saying I, I, I think internally they're leaning Stidham because I feel like they were able to open up the playbook a little bit more and throw the ball down the field a little bit more. But I do think that <laughs> – yeah, I do think that we're sort of leaning towards the same situation that we saw on Monday night, though, where Hoyer starts the game, and if he's a disaster or if it goes poorly or if they get behind, then they bring in sort of the, the gunslinger, so to speak, to come in and, and try to throw them back in the game. So I, 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 would be, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised by any outcome, but I think that that is ultimately where they'll head, is give Hoyer a chance at first, probably a very short leash if they get down or if the offense is just anemic, then bring in the guy that has a little bit more arm talent and can create and improvise a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So let's move on to this next thing here that I had on my list, and that is about the secondary. After watching the coach's film, I did a film review on it. If you guys want to go check that out on our website, clnsmedia.com, that was one of the better performances I've seen out of the Patriots secondary against a top-tier opponent with that caveat in quite a while. I mean, maybe since Super Bowl 53 against the Rams. You know, that that was that type of lockdown coverage. Did you feel, based off of what you saw against Kansas City, that they're, you know, obviously they didn't play as well in the first three weeks of the season as they did against KC. Do you feel like they're all the way back to 2019 form now? I absolutely do. The secondary, I think they say defense wins football games, and I think it's because football at its core is a very simple game. Like, you can, you know, put some flashes on it and everything, but there's only only three plays a game where an offense doesn't really know what's coming or a defense doesn't really know what's coming if they're well-prepared. And the Patriots have played this Chiefs offense so many times. Like, guys like Hardman are new, guys like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Like, there are those little infusions of youth. But really, it's always been Kelsey, Mahomes, and Hill, really, when they got that supercharge and took that next step. 
And I think that you see that in the way that the Patriots play them. They really are so familiar that a lot of the routes are anticipated. Like John Jones, I know a lot of people have the idea that when Hill's outside, he needs to be double covered. Like you got to play cover, cover two or whatever. John Jones has been targeted against him at least once or twice in every game that they played. And I don't think he's ever allowed to catch on a fade. Like it's just, they have such a great understanding and they match up so well. Like Gilmore and Watkins are perfect, you know, similes of each other. Uh, what, uh, I'm sorry, Tyree Kill and John Jones are those really juiced up, quick, twitchy, kind of smaller guys who are really aggressive at the catch point. Uh, Travis Kelsey and the Patriots always have that one guy that they can really have who's aggressive for bigger receivers who match up well usually against Kelsey. So I think we saw an example of, you know, the Seahawks are an out-of-conference opponent. So I think a lot of that was just not having great, uh, having great talent offensively for Seattle, as well as that lack of familiarity. So, you know, you just don't understand their body language as well. And it takes longer to adjust a lot of the times. And sometimes guys just make plays. So I don't really think the defense went anywhere, particularly in the secondary. I think they were really good all season, but against Seattle, that was just Russell Wilson playing out of his mind and everybody kind of stepping up where they needed to. Um, so yeah, long story short, the secondary is as good as it's been, especially with the chemistry. Like you see a lot of the coverage rotations when they play man matching or passing guys off. Great communication before the snap. You can tell guys are on the same page. And that's a huge part of why it's so hard to beat them because you can't run away from them because if you try to set a pick or something like that, they've got another guy who knows it's coming because they played in the system for so long. Yeah, I, I agree with your a lot of your points. I think the biggest thing for me is their versatility on the back end is just really – I don't think people understand how rare it is. So let's let's take Stephon Gilmore, for example, and we can get into a bunch of different guys and go down this road. How many all-pro corners that usually play predominantly on the outside or on the boundary can also play over number three inside in the slot, then rotate to the deep middle if the coverage makes them do that in a man-match situation, then play a spot drop hook zone and cover two if he's inside, and you know do all these different things that Gilmore does. Guys that typically play on the outside, like, I, I'm not old enough to remember Deion Sanders, but I guarantee you if you went back and watched Deion, he is not doing those all those different types of things, right? It's mano e mano, go line up outside against their outside receiver and, and shut them down. And there's certainly something to be said about that. But the versatility in that secondary, John Jones is another great example. You know, he, he mostly matched up on Hill in this one, but we've seen him play safety. We've seen him play deep. We've seen him play down in the box. We've seen him play over the slot. We've seen Jason McCourty do the same thing. I mean, Jason McCourty is basically a free safety at this point on top of being a corner which is crazy. You know, he's basically taken on between Jones and McCourty. They've made Deron Harmon, you know, that that's how they've recreated Deron Harmon. So the versatility to be able to move the entire structure and rotate the entire structure to get those pass offs in the deep part of the field on those deep over routes down was fundamentally insanely awesome. (laughs) There's no really other way to put it. The other thing is, is that what you mentioned with the familiarity with KC they knew from the jump that Casey was going to try to run deep over routes all game long. They knew they wanted to get Harmon and Hill across the field against man coverage and create foot races into pockets of space. And the Patriots didn't oblige. They didn't give those opportunities. Whether it was anticipating the route, there were times, if you go back and watch it, where especially Gilmore literally ran the route for Sammy Watkins. Like he was running like basically hip to hip running it like he was the receiver because he knew before the ball was even snapped that he was running an over route, which is just incredible to see that familiarity. So Belichick hinted at that before the game. They are kind of getting into territory now with Kansas City where this is basically like a divisional game. 
You know, they know them that well. So the Patriots certainly shut down Kansas City better than any other defense in the league. You know, at least slow them down better than any other defense in the league, I should say. And I think it was great to see after the Wilson performance, after uh, in week three, I thought Derek Carr left some plays on the field and it, the coverage wasn't necessarily as tight as we're used to seeing this week, or last week, I should say, at this point, week four, that was as a shutdown performance as you're ever going to see against one of the best offenses in the league history, really. So it was great to see that they had that level still. You know, they can still get to that peak. You know, you're not going to get anything easy against us type level. They introduced a bunch of different types of coverages, eight-man coverages, you know, double robber type structures and things like that, man match, as you mentioned. It, It was Every single thing that was in Bill Belichick's bag, he threw at Patrick Mahomes, and that's really what was able to limit him. And it's exciting to see them be able to still play like that. Yeah, and one, I think with the pass rush especially, I think that's something we actually saw against Derek Carr and something I think they're leaning into more with the three-man rush because I think part of it is without Hightower and without Van Noy, they don't quite have as much of the chemistry as they needed to do a lot of their line games where they would really rush like five and six guys and just be a complete nightmare. Because I noticed they tried to do that with Juwan Bentley. They're trying to use him up on the line of scrimmage more on third downs. Yeah. And he doesn't have that body type. He's really more of a big downhill thumper where when you blitz him against the center and he's just kind of penetrating or creating disruption, he's good at that. But you don't really want him looping. And, you know, he's not really the best at that. So I'm not sure if that's exactly why. But one thing I've seen them do more often is they'll basically use Adam Butler to take up the three interior uh, offensive linemen, have someone like Wise or Rivers push the pocket and then have Winovich speed rush and really just kind of make the quarterback uncomfortable. And because you have so many guys in coverage with eyes on the quarterback, you know, you got your guys in man, but there's enough guys also playing zone that if he tries to run away, you still got guys inside who are taking away the middle of the field. And it's a really interesting strategy. You know, they started getting burned towards the end of last year with their zero coverages because teams were like, yeah, you're leaving the middle of the field wide open. We're going to take advantage of it which is completely against what Bill Belichick is about philosophically. He's always about protecting the middle. So now he's really just jacking it up and relying on his coverage and just saying, you young quarterbacks like Carr and Mahomes are both guys who really are either going to get deeper into the pocket or they're going to go outside. They're not just going to sit there if you give it to them and just process the whole time. So it's a really interesting strategy that they use. And I think, one that we could start seeing more against younger quarterbacks where the logic is usually pressure, 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 let them get the ball out fast. Obviously you can still do that, but you can also just let them start making their own mistakes and get into coverage situations, coverage sacks, things like that. It's really fascinating to watch the transformations that Belichick goes through. Such a great point. You know, everybody last year, it's all about the zero blitzes, right? You know, how are we going to prepare to protect against the zero blitzes or other, you know, sim pressures and stuff like that? And this year he says, well, everybody all offseason has been watching my zero blitz package and getting ready for that. So I, when they think I'm going to zero blitz, now I'm going to drop eight into coverage and only rush three guys. Now all of a sudden you're dealing with a completely different diagram or a completely different, you know, puzzle to solve. And Mahomes in particular has gone through all the iterations of the Belichick defense. You know, the first matchup back in 2018 in the regular season, that was the zero blitz game. They blitzed him a bunch. They tried to get in his face. They tried to throw him off, and they were able to force him into some incomplete passes to open receivers because of the pressure in his face. 
now they've gone full circle. Now they went, they started with the zero blitz. Now we're at eight man coverage players. If you're Mahomes, you just got to be like, well, what's he got next? You know, every single time I face these guys, they got something a little bit different up their sleeve. And that's yeah. Belichick at his best. You know, all offseason, I'm sure every team that had Belichick and the Patriots on their schedule are saying, we got to get ready for the pressure. We got to get ready for the sim pressures and the zero blitzes and, you know, the fake blitzes and the bluffs. And they're showing these guys and dropping those guys. And they've done a little bit of dropping guys off the line of scrimmage, certainly, but not anywhere near what we saw in 2019 with that all that experience in the front seven. So it, it's really awesome to watch Belichick continue to evolve. Obviously, his strength is in the secondary. So instead of leaning on that in terms of, you know, man free and only having five or six guys back there, he's going leaning fully into the secondary strength and now putting seven or eight guys back there and just basically shutting everything down. I'm glad you brought up the pass rush, though. I, I want to skip over our Nikhil Harry uh, question and move on to that one real quick just because it ties better. Most impressive start. You know, Chase Winovich, I think, has obviously gotten a lot of the accolades, but a guy I want to write about uh, maybe even this week is Dietrich Wise, who's really, really improved a ton. Right now, Dietrich Wise is 10th in pro football focuses edge rankings. He's one of the better edge defenders in the league in the first month of the season. Winovich is also very good, too. But who have you been more impressed by? Because to me, I was kind of expecting this leap out of Winovich. I thought we sort of plateaued with Dietrich Wise, and that's definitely not been the case. I honestly have always been a big Dietrich Wise guy. I feel like it's always more been a role thing with him where he's kind of been used in situations where his skill set isn't best utilized. Like, I've always thought he was a good pass rusher, but he's a one-dimensional pass rusher, and they've usually just had so many versatile guys. Like, when you got Van Noy, Calhoun, Hightower, all these guys who can run and go everywhere, you're better suited to run a lot of line games and things like that. But now that they've got bigger, more, you know, stronger guys who are big bodies like Wise and Rivers who are long, they're really just trying to condense the pocket. And I I, I was expecting Wise to take a, a step, I think I said it a few times in the offseason, just because he has an expanded role. And he is so good, and I started seeing it in clips from the preseason. He was so good at using his length and understanding how guys wanted to play him. So it's really tough to say. But just I got to say Chase Winovich just because I expected them to use him more, and especially in a run-defending role. And he was good at it at Michigan. He did well last season, but I really wanted to see how he was going to fare consistently as well as how they use him. You know, is, are, is he going to be more of a two-gapper? Are they going to use him more as a penetrator? And they've done a lot of different things with him. So maybe I'd say I'm more impressed with Winovich because he's been an explosive presence. He's gotten to the quarterback, whereas Wise is more of a pressure guy, and he'll get there if you know with those long arms as soon as the tackle's parked right next to the QB, just bring him down, stuff like that. But um, I'm going to say Winovich by a hair, but Wise, his man, he's he's really been fantastic and given them an element of pass rush and run defense I don't think a lot of people were expecting. His run defense, Dietrich Wise's run defense, has improved leaps and bounds from the play, even just from the postseason last year. I mean, remember, it was really him that got picked on a lot by the Titans in that wild card game. He came back, and I think he knew it. You know, he knew that he was a big reason why, not necessarily that they lost the game, but a big reason why they got ran on as significantly as they did, especially in the first half. And he cleaned up a lot of his technique. He's playing with a lot better pad level. He's using his length a lot better. He's getting underneath guys and creating leverage points. He's got very heavy hands, and now he's actually using them. You know, we see all of these types of length hand usage, hand power, all that type of stuff in his pass rush all the time, you know, in the last couple of years. But we never really saw it translate fully as a run defender. Now he's really holding up very well as a run defender. He was the strong side edge 
on a couple of different running plays, outside zone type of plays against Kansas City, and he shut it down by himself. You know, he held him up at the point of the attack by himself. I don't think we would have seen that out of Dietrich Wise last year. So he's made significant improvements. Not, no, There's no accolades, you know, can't hold back with Winovich. I mean, he's been great. You know, he, he's been really great. His speed rush is now a problem, and tackles are sort of outsetting it for it. So I'm waiting to see what he can kind of counter with inside moves because he hasn't really had to go to that bag yet. But I think his hand usage has really improved. He's kind of added a, a rip move. He's added a speed to power to kind of get those tackles back on their heels and I'll just rip underneath them or just kind of ghost them where he kind of shows that power and then just kind of sneaks around. I think he might have learned that one from Von Miller. I should ask him about that. So he's done a lot of different things with his pass rush to kind of add to that. And then I think he was always a solid run defender at Michigan. He was always a two-way player at Michigan. He could really do both, and he was a three-down player for them, four-down player, really. So I'm not super surprised that he's a fine run defender, but he's holding up extremely well there, too. It's... I think that this performance against Kansas City was one of the better run defense performances I've seen out of the Patriots in the last two years because they really didn't commit that many guys to stopping the run. They had, you know, four or five guys most of the time as primary run defenders. They are dropping a lot of guys into coverage all the time to handle these wide receivers in Kansas City and the tight end, obviously. And they were basically, Clyde Edwards-Ealer had, you know, favorable boxes pretty much the entire game. And it was Guy, it was Butler, it was Winovich, it was Simon, it was Wise. They were able to hold up. And and I think that's a great sign if you're a Patriots fan holding them to 3.8 yards per carry, playing seven defensive backs, six defensive backs, 99% of the time. You know, that's always a great sign. Last one here from the Patriots' big picture's perspective. I wanted to talk to you about Nikhil Harry because I I think you and I – Maybe a little bit biased when it comes to Nikhil. Certainly me. I can I can speak to that and admit that I really like the kid and I, I hope that he does well. But with that being said, I think there's this expectation that he should be putting up 100-yard performance, 100-yard performance, 100-yard performance. And we're not watching the details and seeing him actually really improve his game. And eventually the consistency will come. You know, he's – running much better routes. He's getting open. He's creating separation. He's using his size and his frame and his body down the field to box guys out. He's taking steps forward, and I just think that the production side of it is not matching up enough for people to be excited. Yeah. One thing, I'm I'm trying to develop my tape study, you know, mechanics. So one thing I'm focusing more on is first downs. And when you really pay attention, first down is what an offense wants to be. Like, that's when everything's going on schedule, and that's when your game plan's going according to script, and you're like, this is what our plan is to stop this team or to attack this team. For Edelman, he gets a lot of actually deep targets on first down, which I don't think a lot of people would expect. He's doing a lot more double moves and stuff up the seam where he's getting big yardage on first down. Other than that, it's a lot of 21 personnel with Jakob Johnson and Sony Michelle. Nikhil Harry, whenever he's involved, it's usually on something underneath, but it's very uncommon. So I think people are expecting more than he's really being asked to do. This is a run-first team through and through. Like, they want to run the ball down your throat all game, control the time of possession, and then beat you on defense. That's who Belichick's always been. He's only kind of evolved into a pass-heavy offense when it was like there's no point in running the whole game when we got Randy Moss, Wes Welker, you know, all these great passing threats. So – Nikhil is being asked to come through in some big situations that he's been targeted on third, big third downs, big fourth downs. And he's come through, I think just about every time. I think there was one pass that I can think of off the top of my head. That was kind of a big situation where he didn't come through. 
Now, there are times where people want to complain that he's not getting enough yards after catch, where, like, that's not going to change. He's in the NFL. He was graded in college. If they started to feed him, I'm sure that you'd start seeing more of those plays. I think that the ones where he is ripping off more yards than you would expect are more common than the ones that aren't. The ones that like, anytime Harry makes a mistake, it's just blown out of proportion. Yeah. But then when he does something right, no one wants to talk about it. I've started to kind of make it a joke. Like, hey, are we going to talk about this for the next week now that he, like, you know, made a first down? Right. Because he wants to hone in. But you got guys like Devontae Parker who, although he had to, you know, toil under Adam Gase, you have some young guys who just – even their coaches don't fully understand how to use them and, you know, maximize their talents. But also sometimes players aren't equipped to do it from a mental perspective. Maybe they don't have the confidence quite yet to follow through because this stuff is repetition. That's why I think it's really easy to sit at home and be like, well, why isn't this guy being used up the seam? Well, like, Nikhil has literally never, in my memory, run a seam route in the traditional way that we're expecting him to. So to just start expecting it every game isn't fair. He's clearly not doing it in practice if he's not ever doing it in games. So, again, tailor expectations accordingly and be grateful when he's making a play because, hey – that's confidence. That's something that he can build on. And then the coaching staff says, hey, we can put more on his plate. And not over-exaggerate any time he makes a mistake because it's his virtually still his first year from a physical perspective. He hasn't even played a full season yet. So, yeah. you know, man, I'm, I'm, I'm full Nikhil Harry. I want to, like, cut the guy some slack. If he busts, whatever. But, like, let's encourage the guy. Like, if you're a Patriots fan, you should want him to succeed. I don't understand the vitriol, and I wish it would stop. Encourage the dude. Let him thrive. Yeah, and I wish it would stop the comparisons to the other people that were drafted after him or around him. You know, they could have had Debo Samuel. They could have had Terry McLaurin. They could have had DK Metcalf. That decision was not Nikhil Harry's decision, right? The Patriots mm-hmm. decided to draft Nikhil Harry ahead of A.J. Brown and Debo and McLaurin and all those guys. So stop blaming him for getting drafted in the first round mm-hmm. and just work with what he has, right? And I think what the Patriots have been able to do is they have been able to do that. And what we're seeing is little baby steps. And I know that the first-round pick, you don't want to see baby steps. You want to see explosion. You want to see him explode onto the scene. I get that. But the things that we are seeing out of him, for instance, there was a third-down play against Kansas City where he ran a slant. And last year, if you guys remember, I'm sure you all do, he tried to run an under route or a slant against Houston, and it got picked off, right? And it went back to the house, and everybody was pissed off about it because he got undercut on the route. Now, if you go watch him run a slant route, he's a lot more physical at the top of the route. He learned from that mistake, and then he went and he boxed out at the po- at the catch point and was able to get the first down. And we saw, obviously, that the fade in the end zone from Jared Stidham. That's kind of his skill set. We've seen him do different things over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I put that clip on Twitter against him uh, with him beating Damon Arnett on that route, that comeback route along the sideline against the Raiders. Those are things that I saw technique-wise. The other thing technique-wise, too, I think he took this from Edelman. I think Edelman taught him that little lean coming across the field where you're breaking across and you lean back into the defender to kind of snap the route off and stack them and create that separation. He's done that a lot better coming across the field as well to create separation and get open. The technique, I'm telling you guys, I'm not lying to you just to pump up the gate. He is getting a lot better at running routes than he was last year. It's night and day. He gets open a lot. Like, you don't see it unless you're looking for it. But he's not getting smothered all the time. Like, you expect a guy to get open at the top. When he's in press, when he's pressed, he's moving guys off the, off the line. You know, he's getting DBs on their heels or he's moving them off their spots. You know, he had that little inside twitch fake and then he 
ran to the fade and he created that passing window for himself. He created that lane to make that play. Then you also see him coming across the middle of the field. Like I said, he's got that little Edelman lean thing going on and he's doing a little bit more technique wise, certainly than he was last year. And I think I have really seen leaps and Browns improvements from him there. On top of that, since he's de facto rookie at this point, I know people hate that excuse, but he really is. He's on pace for over 700 yards right now. You know, that's not no slouch of a season. This is not a season like last year where he's going to have 100 yards and 10 catches. He's going to have 40, 50 catches in this season. So remain patient. I think he's really made a lot of good improvements, and it's disappointing that we have to keep on comparing him to people in his draft class and say, why couldn't we have drafted that guy? Why couldn't we have drafted this guy? You got the guy you got, and let's just hope that he can develop into the best player that he can possibly be. And one last thing, just like – his role is also, I think, vastly misunderstood. Like, again, the Patriots are a power-running team. If they could help it, they would literally run power or some type of physical downhill uh, play every single play, and then they sprinkle in play action so you have to respect it and obviously to get big plays. Nikhil is the biggest receiver they have and is essentially an extra tight end just because you have to put a cornerback on the field with him and he's blocking safeties. He's getting on linebackers. He's, you know, uh, he's doing whams and blocking bigger guys. Like he is doing things physically that you can't expect someone like Edelman to do as much as he does because Edelman's not 220 pounds. Like Nikhil is mostly in his role right now. He is a run blocker. If the offense needs to spread out and become a passing team, then maybe if he has to evolve, you'll see, you know, whatever that needs to become. But right now for what this team is, it is a power running and play action team with some basically extensions of the run sprinkled in with, you know, RPOs, bubble screens, underneath stuff, things like that. So you cannot expect him to have a thousand yards. 700 on a run first team is a lot of yards. Like that, that means that you're doing something right clearly. It means you're seeing targets and you're producing. So, I mean, you know, again, beating a dead horse at this point, I guess, but, just understand his role, the value that he brings as a blocker first and foremost, and then anything as a receiver is a massive bonus. I know that sounds weird for first-round receiver, but. That's the issue is that people don't accept that as a first-round receiver. Hey, I can watch Akil Harry crack block all day long. You know, they, they get those tosses. He gets the end. He gets that block. He gets that play started every single time they ask him to execute that block. He does it extremely well. We're going to take a quick break to shout out our friends at betonline.ag, and then we're going to preview a little bit more of Patriots Broncos. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season, from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than any place online you can get it in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on win division and championship futures today head to bet online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses bet online your online sportsbook experts I'm back here with Taylor Kyles, my very good friend and film junkie, fellow film junkie, I should say, Taylor. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. We're going to get into a Broncos preview, mini Broncos preview. I don't want to overhype the Broncos and make everybody think that we're saying they're the greatest team on earth right now because they're really not. They're one and three. They're most likely coming in here with Brett Rippon as their quarterback. He was on their practice squad for a little bit. Now he's starting games for them. He looked okay. He did throw three picks, I think it was. A few of them he ended up learning from later on in the game. We can get into that. But I want to talk about Vic Fangio because this guy, I don't want to say anything about him off the field because he's got some 
questionable opinions. But in terms of his football, he is really thought of as one of the best defensive minds in the NFL going right now. They did an interview with the uh, the three Redskins guys from the past, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, last year in 2019 going into the 2019 season. All three of those guys named Fangio as the toughest matchup for their scheme. He's a very, very good coach. He does a lot of different things in the coverage back end that confuses quarterbacks. That has me a little bit concerned. I know you want to talk about the run defenders as well, and they're very good up front against the run. What has me mostly concerned about this Fangio system, though, is whoever it is, Hoyer or Stidham, is going to deal with a ton of coverage disguises, a ton of back-end rotations. He never shows you the picture pre-snap. It always is changing after the snap. So if you get up to the line of scrimmage, you see two high safeties, you think, okay, my two high beaters over here, I'm going to go there. All of a sudden, it's going to rotate on you, and it's going to go from two high to single high, and then what, right? So that's been the problem for a lot of teams going up against Fangio. Even Brady in 2018, they ended up kind of opening it up a little bit, but he had some problems dissecting this Fangio defense. Uh, what, what do you see out of this unit right now, Taylor? Totally honestly, I saw, I watched the um, the old Bears game. I still need to catch up to a lot of their film from this season. But what I do know, just in terms of a defense that disguises a lot against, you know, someone like Hoyer who doesn't have a lot of in-game experience and someone like Stidham who doesn't have a lot of experience facing these kind of defenses, period, the key, I think, is really just going to be making sure that they don't have to be in those aggressive pass situations where Fangio can bring out his blitz packages, can start doing those things where he's showing you one thing and making you think this and putting you into a different situation. So, I, I, I again, like, I don't want to get too much into the pass coverage. I want you to do that because, like I said, having done my full dive, I was mostly doing the run defense. But um, this is one of those, you know, it is what it is with the Belichick system. It's staying ahead of the chains, making sure that you're – controlling the clock with the running game, and then the pass is more of an extension of the run, where it's a lot of underneath stuff. I think – I don't know if this is really even a philosophical thing, but I've started to notice that, especially against the Patriots, who you really have to take everything you can get, a lot of design checkdowns, I feel like, are what have gotten the Patriots going when they start struggling offensively. I know the James White play where he motioned out then came underneath when there were two routes that were kind of above, and that opened up the fake screens later on in the game. I think a lot of those concepts where you can just target someone underneath where the defense is never going to really try to cover a check down because you don't want to leave that vulnerability. I think sprinkling and things like that, if you get in those situations, could be advantageous. Um, but other than that, I really don't want to test this Broncos pass defense. Justin Simmons is a fantastic safety. Kareem Jackson has been really productive for them. Um, I know they've got the uh, – uh, rookie, I forget his last name. Um, he's been playing a lot since A.J. Boye got hurt. He's someone that you could possibly pick on. I could see Demir Bird having some success in that department because he's shown, I think, a lot of progress as one of their better route runners on the outside. Um, so, yeah, just stay ahead of the chains and try not to get greedy, I think. If they show you that you have a deep shot with someone like Bird who they know you're going to try to get in those one-on-one opportunities if you can, just be very careful. Yeah, I think you're talking about uh, Mike Ojemadi, I think is how you say it. He's the he's the rookie corner for them, uh, opposite of Bryce Callahan, who's a pretty solid veteran corner too. I think what you hit on there in terms of the checkdowns, that's where the Patriots probably had the most success against the Bears in 2018, was Brady taking James White one on one, getting you know kind of that those triple option routes that they have, where White basically has free reign of where he can go because he's one on one either in the middle of the field or in the flat. They're able to get those options very open. I want to talk about one coverage. I don't want to go too long on the Broncos. We're pushing an hour already. So just quickly, 
Cover six is a really big staple coverage for them. Basically what it is is it's cover two on one side of the field and then cover four on the other side of the field. So I think what's really important this week for McDaniels and whoever's under center at quarterback is having a two high meter on both sides of the field that really attacks both those types of coverages. Because what you're going to end up is you're going to see, okay, it's, it's cover six. This side of the field, you know, we have a, a single high beater. We have to cancel out this side of the field. So the other side of the field better be a two high beater or you're going to be in trouble against this defense. The other thing that the Jets had a little bit of success with was throwing opposite the rotation, right? So the defense is going to want, they run a lot of cover one, man cover one as well. So what's going to happen a lot of the time is that Fangio is going to put two deep safeties pre-snap. Then he's going to rotate into one robber or, or kind of like one cut, like the Patriots run one cross. And what you have to do is what the Jets did is they ran over routes opposite the rotation. So they knew that it was mostly going to be a weak side rotation. So they took their exit receiver. They sent him across the field. The rotation comes the other way, and the robber is not in position to cut off the crosser, and they were able to hit that crosser a few times. So opposite the coverage rotations, throwing opposite the coverage rotations is always an easy way for young quarterbacks to just – just kind of go through that, right? It's basically just whichever way the safety rotates, you throw against it. It's it's pretty simple to read it that way. The other way is certainly having answers to both types of cover four and cover two for those cover six looks as well. I want to talk about the run defense now. It's a stout group. You know, it really is a stout group. They run a two-gapping system. They're mostly 3-4, but sometimes they kind of run like a 2-4, which is sort of the new age 3-4 because you don't have a true uh, seven in the box all the time anymore. But I know you want to talk about my personal. Uh, Shelby Harris is a very, very good kind of five-tech Lawrence guy type of player. Uh, Bradley mm-hmm. Chubb's obviously a very stout player as well at a uh, weak side, you know, edge defender type of guy. Yeah, they've got a lot of depth. I think Purcell might be uh, missing the game. He w- he didn't participate in practice on Wednesday. And usually Wednesday is when you practice your first down, second down plays. And as a primary run defender, it likely means that he's not really going to be playing. So that's a huge blow for them because he's someone, It maybe it's just a hair partially, but in terms of being an explosive nose tackle who also shows a lot of power and does not get moved, he reminds me a lot of Vita Vea. Also really great with his hands. He makes some explosive plays where he'll jump into other gaps to make tackles. Really exciting player to watch. Uh, Shelby Harris is going to be playing. Like you said, he gives a lot of Lawrence guy vibes. He's really good with his hands. Another long guy with a lot of power who doesn't let himself get moved. He's much more of the initiate in that regard. Um, Chubb, obviously, he's a, a, a really strong power guy, great pass rusher, but also a stout run defender. He's usually on the backside of a lot of runs, but he has just enough burst to get that close and finish. And then there's a lot of guys that you haven't heard of. Frankly, I should have brought the depth chart up, but what you need to understand in the Broncos front is they're very well coached and they're well drafted. There's a lot of guys who were brought into the system who – I, we were talking, Evan, it reminds me a lot of the Redskins last year in that it was a team that's kind of unassuming. You don't really think a lot of them per se, and you could not really expect them to be as stout as they are, but they're tough guys. They're long. They got powerful hands, and they're not going to be moved often. So I think we're going to see a lot of uh, sideline to sideline stuff, a lot of stretches, outside zone type of concepts, a lot of tosses. You know, the Patriots love pitching, uh, so it's a more quick-hitting outside concept because – the Broncos do have the speed on the perimeter, I think, to catch up if you try stretch too many times. And they've got the guys to stay at the point of attack to make sure there aren't a lot of cutback lanes. So that's what kind of scares me. I think they're going to be forced to pass a lot more. But if the McDaniels decides, hey, it's a close game, I'm going to stick with the run control clock and just, you know, if we need to make adjustments in the fourth quarter or whatever, because it's a one-score game, we'll do that. 
Um, but they're definitely not going to make it easy for the Patriots to do what they want to do philosophically. Yeah, you know, they usually when you go up against a two-gapping front, you can run things like power. You can fold the defense over, get guys out of the, out of their gaps and get up to those linebackers and get those blocks moving. But I think this defense is really stout, like you said. I I, I don't want to lament too much on Cam, but this is, would be a great game to have Cam in because really I think what you need to do is stretch these guys out and kind of force them to stay into multiple gaps without being able to play it in a condensed phone booth. You know, you get a guy like Shelby Harris who's covering five yards of field, it's a lot different than him covering, you know, a very condensed area, right? So I think that's the sort of the way that you have to go about this team. I think you can still run some of your staples. I think you can still run lead and power if you can get those blocks at the point of attack. But it's not going to be as easy this week for guys like Mike and Wenu and Tooney to move these guys out of their gaps as it was in the first three weeks of the season. So very fascinating to see how they attack them in the run game with the personnel that they currently have at quarterback. If it is Stidham, I wouldn't be surprised if you see some read option. Just even if Stidham is not going to ever keep it, just having them have to kind of stretch it out a little bit more and holding the backside a little bit more on occasion, I think that that can kind of make Basically, it's the same thing that teams try to do against the Patriots run defense. You got to try to make these big nose tackles and these defensive ends play a little bit in space. You know, get, you have to get them out, out in a little bit of a space and not just try to run right at them. Because if you try to run right at them, I think it's going to be a long day, even for this offensive line. Let's flip over to the offensive side of the ball quickly. Like I mentioned, it's probably going to be Rippin. It might be Drew Locke. He's limited in practice on Wednesday. They're trying to work him back into the mix. But this scheme is a lot different from Pat Shermer's typical type of scheme because of the receivers that they have. We're talking about a lot of downfield throws. You know, guys like Tim Patrick and Jerry Judy against the Jets are really getting down the field and making plays just on straight go routes. You know, just just run a go and I'm going to hit you, right? I don't know if they're going to do that as much against J.C. Jackson and this Patriots secondary because that might be a losing proposition. But this is not Pat Shermer's Minnesota Vikings scheme where it's a lot of heavy play action and incorporating Kirk Cousins under center and allowing him to kind of, you know, extend plays in the pocket and things like that. This is a lot more of a grip it and rip it type of offense, at least what it was against the Jets. Yeah, because they really, like you said, they've got the personnel to do it now. They really don't have to condense field or anything. They could spread it out and really stretch you deep. Tim Patrick is someone who I didn't really know a ton about coming into uh, film prep for this. Yeah, he's really, he's really strong in the route. Like in the short, uh, in the yeah. short part of the field, you notice when guys try to press him, even if the, even if the defensive back is playing to the leverage he's trying to get out, he just out muscles them and really just steals the spot himself. He's physical at the catch point. Uh, I think he's going to be a fun matchup against someone like JC Jackson, who's also just a really physical long guy who wants to bring the fight. I think one of the more interesting matchups is John Jones and Jerry Judy, because I think that's someone you're going to see a lot. They like to use Jerry Judy in the slot, yep. but he's, but he's tall. Taller and longer than a lot of the guys that John Jones usually covers. He's usually with the really like that. Like Kenny Stills, I think, is someone that gave him a little bit more trouble because he's a bigger guy who also has that speed and isn't quite as twitchy. But really got someone like Judy where he's flexible, he's fast, he's long, he makes contested catches. That's going to be a really fun one to watch. I think Judy's probably going to have one or two catches. But at the same time, I think the Patriots are going to do a good job in treating him like Tyreek Hill, where they're going to take away those crossing routes by attacking from depth and basically just tossing him off and saying, yeah, we're just going to have somebody waiting right there wherever you're trying to go. 
Um, so that's one of the reasons I think this is going to be a close game. If the Patriots weren't as well-stocked as they are defensively, I would think this would be a little bit scarier because there's so much firepower on this offense. But this is a team that's built to take away vertical throws while also onto the sideline while taking away the middle of the field. And I don't really know if the Broncos quarterbacks have the patience to survive in the kind of game where you have to dink it, dunk it, and then just make plays in the red zone. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun matchup. I think they're de- the Broncos are going to make their plays. They're a very talented team. But I don't see it being more than, you know, a handful of clashes in the pan that ultimately, you know, are a stagnant passing offense. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, Patrick is definitely somebody that really surprised me. He's like six foot five. He's basically like a move tight end playing wide receiver. He can really box out down the field. They threw a deep ball to him. They threw a corner route to him where he was able to use his size and kind of box out. Judy obviously is a really talented guy. Deshaun Hamilton's a pretty shifty kind of slot type of receiver. They obviously have Hamler. I don't know if he's going to play in this game or not, but he's kind of a game breaker underneath type of receiver. Not really as good of a deep threat, I think, as people thought coming into the draft. A lot of talk about that. I think he's more handler. is more the, like, you know, take the five-yard slant, 80 yards to the house type of guy than necessarily someone's that's truly going to take the top off. They have Fanta tight end. They run a little bit of 12 personnel with him and uh, Jake Budd or Nick Vinette. But ultimately, I, I agree with you. That I think this offense might make some plays. Judy might get them a few times, or Patrick might get them a few times at the catch point. But I don't expect this to be a very high-powered team. Britt Rippon, if he's the quarterback, they really got him. The Jets did on a d- couple of different trap type of coverages where it looks like one thing and then the corner falls off or whatever the case may be. I assume the Patriots are going to do similar things like that and try to trick him into interceptions. Young quarterback, you know, Belichick's going to – at least make it look like a lot's going on, even if a lot isn't going on, you know? So I I think that's going to be a cool thing to watch is just how they try to confuse another young QB. Ultimately, I I don't think that we need to overreact to this matchup and and think that this is going to truly be a game. The thing that's going to end up making it a game is the situation that the Patriots and the circumstances the Patriots have going into it. No practice, the COVID situation, all that type of stuff. In terms of the opponent, I think this is a very winnable game. In terms of the situation, they're going to have to battle through this one for sure. Absolutely. And, I mean, again, it's the quarterback situation is the only real deal breaker. I think the Patriots would – I mean, I respect Fangio's defense too much. I don't think it would be a route or anything. But I just think you would see the Patriots be able to convert consistently and be able to move the ball – just, you know, tactically, whereas the Broncos are going to struggle because they're playing the best, best pass defense in football. And I just don't know if they have the horses. I mean, Melvin Gordon's fantastic. I think he yeah. can make some plays on his own just because he's got ridiculous balance. He's powerful. He's fast. Like, if you give him a crease, he's going to exploit you. I'm sure he's going to get maybe, like, three or four carries where you're like, oh, no, the Patriots run defense is yeah. at it again. But it's like they're gonna, the Patriots are going to be trying to stop the pass most likely just by, you know, virtue of the personnel for the Broncos. So you may see some nice runs, but at the end of the day, I don't see the Broncos doing much unless they really do decide to run against the Patriots sub defense, which no one seems to want to do consistently, or at least actually, no, the Chiefs to their credit did do that, but they weren't effective. Yeah. So you, know, you just got to adjust to pick your poison. It's a big game for the Patriots defensive line. Like every week, I think we're going to say that. And what we need to see from them more consistently is what we saw against Kansas City, which is basically stopping the run with five guys. If they can consistently do that, they're going to be in really good shape. This offensive line, Bowles, Reisner on the left side, that's a pretty stout left side. You know, that that's a left side that can move Mm -hmm. people. So I am interested to see how that looks. 
ultimately, like I said, a game the Patriots should win. They have to do, they will have to get ready though. Uh, Jeff Driscoll came into that game against the Jets and had a few read option runs that I don't think the Jets were necessarily prepared for. I'm sure the Patriots will be a little bit more prepared for that as well. All right, Taylor, we, we just pushed an hour of great. Always great talk with you. Is there anything you want to tease? Tell the people where they can find you on Twitter. Hopefully the people are still listening an hour into this. And uh, anything else you want to shout out or anything like that? Yeah, if you're still listening, I'll take you out of your misery. Uh, just follow me, if you please, at T-K-Y-L-E-S 39 on Twitter. It would mean the world to me. Thank you for having me, brother. I appreciate it. Of course. It would mean the world to me as well if you went and followed Taylor. So please go ahead and do that. We'll definitely have Taylor on this show again soon. I think we're, we're, uh, he's, he's a rotating, uh, permanent guest here. You know, once every couple of weeks we call on him. So he'll definitely be back next week. Patriots bye week. We'll probably do a show on some sort of big picture Patriots stuff. Uh, obviously update you constantly on this COVID-19 situation on our website at clnsmedia.com and on our YouTube channel, Patriots Press Pass. I want to shout out our sponsors once again, betonline.ag. Go on to betonline.ag to use our promo code CLNS50 today for a bunch of great deals. Until next time, signing off, I'm Evan Lazar. Thank you to my guest once again, Taylor Kyles, and thank you for listening.